You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Stay with the first, and then we'll go back to Proverbs 18 in just a little bit. So Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. So we're looking at having rule over ourselves. Uh, I guess you can say self-control. That is temperance, the, one of the fruit of the spirit, or a combined fruit of the spirit that make that uh, whole fruit for us to live in. So without self-control, we are not going to make wise choices. Uh, in fact, we'll mess up our lives and the lives of others around us. And it's so very important and vital to have self-control. That, of course, applies in the area of our money and finances, uh, having self-control in our spending. Uh, that is huge. We'll talk a little bit on that. Uh, but it won't primarily be in encompassing all of our just money and spending. It'll be a lot about just self-control uh, and maybe going into a little bit of addictions. A little bit different how we're uh, going through it tonight, but I hope it'll be a blessing and a help, and we're looking forward to it. So 25, 28, chapter 25, verse 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit, uh, that word spirit there, uh, it's, remember the Hebrew word ruach, and, and, and it translates later on, it's, it's an energy, it's a force. And so uh, your own, rule over your own spirit, that, that is, that's your, your passions, uh, your emotions. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of your, who, who you are as uh, what makes you, what makes you go, what makes you tick, uh, what makes you happy, what you're passionate for. And then so the Bible says no rule over your own spirit. That means uh, you, you lack self-control over, over, it could be, and we'll go into that, over a lot of different things. And the, a person that lacks self-control, this is what he's like. Uh, he is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So a person who lacks control in his life or in his desires is as a, a city without walls that are broken down. So broken down walls. Uh, we won't go much into Nehemiah, but you remember what happened in Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, there was a messenger around the area and he asked and said, how is our city Jerusalem doing? And you know what happened? He came back and said, the walls are broken down. And instantly Nehemiah sat down and wept for days, the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 1. Why did he weep? Why did he cry? Because a city without walls was very bad. And it still is bad. Obviously, we have different tactics kind of nowadays. But still, that, that mindset in, in our own bodies, uh, or in our own lives, a city without walls, it's, bad. it's vulnerable to an attack if it hasn't already happened. You look at all the different uh, empires and civilizations. I don't know all of that history buff. Stephen said afterwards he can talk to you about the Hun dynasty and how they built their walls. He's looking forward to helping anyone know more about them. So just see him afterwards. Uh, but you know the, the uh, and I, I looked this stuff up. I'm not, I'm not that smart at all. I had to look up what the benefits of having a wall around a city did because I, I don't know. Anyways, what, what, what did walled cities do uh, for that time? Well, it kind of created like a, a social justice system. Uh, those that needed just uh, people like in like how we have our legislatures and a president, they had their own city council. They would meet there. There was that city of just social justice would, would be taken on. Social justice, I think that's not even the right word. Uh, that's 
uh, social justice warriors. There we go. That's not what happened with wall cities there. Uh, market economy, that was another one. Uh, every harvest, uh, if they didn't have walls in, uh, much like we just read from the uh, missionary, uh, a lot of people coming in root, uh, uh, looting and thievery. Uh, a lot of armies, if there, was no, if there was no wall, it would just easily take uh, for whatever they would need for their food and uh, they would pillage and plunder. And so the walls created a sense of security uh, from raiders and from things such like, and you understand that. Uh, but I still had to Google that to let you know that. Uh, they created that sense of security. And without a wall, uh, people were just scrambling for security. If they didn't have anything and, and enemies were coming, they were just left to hide and, and try to fight off. I don't know how you would do things, but you can imagine anything of that sort. Uh, but that was walled cities. And now we flash back to today. And man, we have so many blessings that God has given us. So many things uh, that we get to enjoy. Uh, not just the fact that we get to enjoy food, but we get to enjoy good food. The fact that God made a, a cocoa plant that we could take a little co- uh, co- uh, chocolate bean and make wonderful chocolate from it. God didn't have to do that for us, but he has given us so many wonderful things. And the next uh, neat thing, it's, uh, it's another plant, it's a bush, uh, a coffee, a cocoa. I say cocoa, you know what the coffee bean is. Uh, it's a seed of a coffee tree, cherry tree there. And you put some hot water through that coffee bean and an amazing drink is what we're left with. And once again, God didn't really need to have that for us in order to survive, but yet God gave us these great uh, liberties and freedoms in our life. Uh, Roasting meat over a fire is a wonderful thing. Food is great. And now we're going somewhere with that. If anything, maybe food, for instance, or something that God has given us, we take abuse of that. If any passion or desire for anything gets out of control or unbalanced in our life, then it can squeeze out the other things in our life and cause, us our, and cause our life to fall apart. So when we, and I'm, I said coffee, we're not, oh, and I shouldn't say too much of coffee. We know how our pastor is, but coffee is not really much of an addiction, but we know that there's other things. Uh, I mentioned food. Obviously, there's an overeating disorder. Uh, people go to food when they're in time of need or in comfort, and too much of that, though it's something that we need for sustenance, too much of that can cause our life to spiral out of control. Uh, so a man and a woman uh, without control in their life is like a city without walls. And so we are defenseless if, if any part of our walls are taken down and we're just open for an attack from the enemy. And so uh, continuing on, we're going through this. What is good definition of self-control? I think you have it there, but I like this one. I searched a couple different things, and when I saw that, I thought, wow, that was pretty neat uh, from, uh, I think, from concordance there. Uh, The ability to recognize and choose the important thing over the urgent thing at any given moment. Uh, Definition for self-control, because... And we'll go on later on. It's a little bit of a quote from Jonathan Edwards from uh, one of his books that he has. Uh, It talks about really what you choose to do. That is what you're giving yourself to. It's kind of easy. We done it, but we understand that the most important things are wanted the most and the less important things we are wanting the less. If you're told to do something, if it's not the most important thing at your moment, you won't do that. That's that's either a lack of self-control or not, right? Uh, if, you, if your appetite, if, if this area, if you uh, choose the important thing 
or the urgent thing over the important thing in the area of our food. Uh, meaning if we choose the, the fast food of life, if we choose the urgent because we don't have the time for the important things, meaning keeping a healthy diet, we know what happens. Our life can spiral out of control. We easily can get that area messed up. Uh, even Proverbs 23, 1 through 3 tells us this. Oh, I forgot to put it on the board, but listen. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Uh, I've always laughed at that word dainties. I don't know if you enjoy that word when you hear it. Uh, I feel like hostess, uh, they really missed a uh, naming opportunity. Uh, they got ho-hos, zingers, ding-dongs. Uh, they got, what, I wrote down some other things. Uh, they have snowballs. You guys ever have a snowballs? I could imagine, I like the zingers, the one that had the raspberry, like Twinkie. But man, they, I don't know how someone in the marketing team really missed uh, the next advertisement uh, that hostess could have set out. They could have made a new line of products that could have sat on the shelf for seven months before someone bought it. And then it could have been called the dainty and it would have been maybe good for somebody. But actually dainties, uh, it means delicacy, almost like a filet mignon. That's a good cut of meat right there. Uh, but if we give ourselves to the urgent needs of food because it's fast, it's easy, it's cheap, then we miss out on the important things in life. And my wife's looking at me because I eat the urgent foods and she eats the important foods. Uh, another example, if your tongue is out of control and you lash out and cut someone down. I've been there before, uh, mostly lashing out, not really getting lashed out too many times. I guess I have, but I do a lot of lashing out if I don't control my tongue. Then your tongue, which is out of control, has just hurt the relationship and then your whole life is out of control. How many of you guys realize that relationships are the essence of life? Without them, we have nothing. Relationship with God, relationship with our parents, relationship with our children, relationship with our spouses, relationship with friends. So if our tongue is out of control and we're slashing down one another, and it doesn't have to be a friend, it could be someone that we're just getting in contact with, maybe someone that is in charge of uh, a, a matter of our billing or a matter of how we conduct our business, and we hurt and cut that relationship down, it just cuts out our own, uh, our own life. And then because our tongue is out of control, we're going to soon find out that our whole life is out of control. The book of James talks much about that one. Uh, so whenever you choose the urgent thing over the important thing uh, because of the desires of your life are properly ordered, that's when your life will be out of control or that's when your life will be like a wall that is broken down and then it will be defenseless and anyone can come in and have uh, that place in our life. And so just really, there's, I'm going to get a little bit into addictions here. Follow me. I think it's going to be helpful. It was helpful in my life. Uh, but we know some of the classic addictions. Uh, we can all kind of name a few. That's drugs. Uh, that's drinking, gambling, rage, anger, physical abuse, sexual addictions, eating disorders, too much or too little. Uh, that, that's kind of the common ones. There obviously is more, but that's the ones that we really uh, separate and people need serious help when they have these issues. But what are some less focused uh, as addictions items? Here we go. Spending, our spending is out of control. Uh, maybe we have a, a over large amount of debt and we're still, as pastor said, we're still paying off Christmas gifts from a couple months back. Well, that's a, that's a sign that our spending is out of control. We just mentioned our tongue can be out of control. We're cutting people down. We're losing relationships in life. Our time 
can be out of control, uh, telling everybody that we'll be there for this event only to realize that we've overpromised and we can't deliver to those things because our time is out of control. Our attention is out of control. Is that just me in here? Man, I got several of these ones. Our thoughts are out of control. Maybe they're anxious thoughts. Maybe they're fearful thoughts. Uh, maybe they're lustful thoughts or jealous thoughts. Have you all came to the uh, conclusion that each and every one of us are a little bit out of control. Uh, I know in my life, I start checking these off. I'm not a little bit out of control. I'm just a, you're looking at a cyclone in front of you right now. My life is just spinning around in an out of control ball of a mess. I'm a city without walls. So we don't have to be a city without any walls. Even just a city with partial wall being breached is enough for the entire army to come through. You might have watched any type of uh, you know, medieval movie or uh, a show or whatnot. Sometimes just that little gate, they would stalk and they would watch the enemy. They had one little door that they would gather that little water from. And what would happen? The second that door would come open, there'd be the little secret men from the inside and they'd infiltrate in. They'd open up the gate and now before you know it, the whole city is taken. The siege is complete. The flag is already down the floor and the new flag is up. All because of getting water in the morning. Now, anyways, so if even, even if just a little bit of our wall is, is broken in our life, that's enough for the devil, the enemy, the, the attacks of this world to come in and we start losing that control. So how do we get self-control? So that was 25:28. Now we're going to look at Proverbs 18 and verse 10. Through 11, we read it, but the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it. Here it is, and is safe. That's that security. That's that tower, the walls, the gate. That's that fortified structure that when we go into it, we are now safe. It's not our own walls that we're, and we're going to look into that one, believe you me. It's not our own walls that we're putting up. It's God. It is Him and it's His boundaries that He puts for us. That city wall, uh, the tower that we're looking at. They're all signs of security. We understand that. In an attack, uh, they would quickly get behind that wall. I don't know how it went all the time, at least from shows and movies. I picture people, the watchmen on the wall. Even Ezekiel tells us that one. They would blow a trumpet. Maybe some type of noise would be sounded. And then people would know. I, I guess maybe the gates would be kind of left open for people to come and go. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a medieval history buff. Uh, but once again, uh, talk to Stephen back there and he'll help you out with anything that you need. But when the, when the gates, when the, when the sound came, people would come running into the wall because danger was nearing. Maybe from an animal, maybe from an army, uh, from anything that opposed a threat in their life. They would run into that wall, into that, and if the wall got breached, well then their next uh, fortified structure was that high tower, and that would be their, their, their last stand right there. And so they would close that, they would run behind the walls, closing the gate. And so everybody in life runs to something for their security. We all have something that when, when danger comes, we're going to run to something in our life. We're going to look here what the wealthy run to, and we're going to see how that's not much of a fortified or a, a structure to run into. And in their own conceit, that's even where it gets real good. So I'm those little cookie crumbs, we're getting right close to get into it. So listen to verse 11. Uh, the rich man's wealth is his city. That's his wall. And here it is in his own conceit. That means uh, he imagines his wealth 
as a, as a high wall, as an unscalable wall. Uh, maybe you've seen, once again, uh, people trying to get into the, the army, the, the, the castle, and they're climbing that wall, and they have all these bow and arrows, the archeries, the things that can slide down and just slice people off the wall. But the rich man, they believe that wall of their own wealth to be unscalable. They believe that is all they need when danger comes. Maybe it's in a retirement, a pension, a thing uh, into a home. Maybe, maybe having that, the fact that you are a homeowner, that is your, and that's a great thing to be, but maybe for you when something comes to your mind as far as an imminent danger, you think, well, at least we have our home. And this is what the, wealth, the wealthy say. This is what the rich say. But before we get all after the rich, Let's think about those that may be in a relationship, those that are seeking after a person to be their strong tower, those that are seeking after, you name it, we all run to something for our security. And the problem is when we go into an imaginary high tower uh, thinking something that will give us the ultimate security, but it just can't. Uh, the wealthy goes into their riches, uh, people go into relationships, everyone goes into something. But anything besides God that we look for, for our strong tower or for our ultimate security, it creates an addiction pattern in our life that is just going to be a breached wall. So anything that we place when danger comes, I have this that is outside of God is just going to open ourselves up for an attack because it's an imaginary high wall that we think is unscalable until it's scaled. And now they're inside our own cities. And so we're looking into that right now. So anything you run into, uh, money, an individual, your spouse, a career, uh, anything in life that we look to as our high tower or a job, uh, whatever it is for you, if that's what you're looking to outside of God, well, it's an imaginary high tower. And the Bible says here, it, it's our own conceit. It's anything outside of God is going to lead to addiction patterns in our life. And we're going to look into a little bit of that. Uh, this is some other great resources are on the back. Uh, not trying to talk too much about addictions, but we're talking about that a little bit tonight. Uh, Neil Plantinga uh, wrote an article uh, 2006, The Tragedy of Addiction. Uh, and here's what he says. I'm going to just do a little bit of it here if you allow me to read uh, from this man's article. Addictions begin when we use something we believe will relieve distress. Then eventually... The addictions create their own distress. And finally, the addict spirals down when they try to cure the additional pain from the thing that caused it. So they have distress. They go to an addiction for that distress. And only, obviously, this is the ABC effect. Uh, the same with any addiction. At the heart of the addiction is what we call the tolerance effect. And you understand this for sure. Uh, you start with the substance and it gives you a high at first. And that's why you go back to it. But your body adapts to that substance and it begins to need more and more of the substance to get less and less of that good feeling. And that's what happens when you put anything in the place of God in your life as your high tower. You begin to spiral down because you're chasing after something that you need more and more of that only gets you less and less of what you truly uh, think that you need. So the name of the Lord, run into it. What does that mean? How do we run into the name of the Lord? A brief break here. You guys are listening great. You guys doing okay today? Are we covering ground? I think we're going to be out here in a little bit. I only got a couple more pages of notes. 
hope you guys are enjoying so far this sidebar. Let's, let's, pray, uh, let's drink this. I'm going to pray that the Lord will close this as we end the message. I'm not done. We're not praying for invitation. We're about to make the application here. So we're going to ask the Lord to help us make application. I'm going to drink a couple more. Let's repose, regather. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us right now. Lord, we just come before you. Lord, I know maybe, maybe I've stuttered and stammered. At least I felt like that. I pray that you would help these closing thoughts just to, just to truly sink into the believers today. Lord, I pray that we would not put anything else above you. Help us, Lord, to truly know what it is to run into you as our high tower. Uh, Lord, just give me the right thoughts. Give me the right uh, words here. Give the, the people the ability to understand my words and also the Holy Spirit just to move in our midst, please. And I pray for the last closing minutes here as well. Christ, we pray. Amen. The name of the Lord... What does that mean? Well, the name of the Lord, first, it's his nature. Uh, a lot of things, this was interesting. When you look at names in the Bible, our names, really, you know, what is it good for you? John Hancock, you put it on a check, and that's kind of our name is a label. Uh, maybe the last time, you know, our name was used was maybe on an elementary desk or a high school desk to, to mark whose desk that is. But in the Bibles, in the Bible times, names were a lot different. It actually uh, was, it was who they were as a, as a person, as their attribute. It was what they changed to. Their, their name meant so much more. It told them their attributes. A lot of times, uh, don't call me, call me Mara. What happened? It, it changed who she was. Ichabod, these are some names that it was all about destruction and sorrow and bitterness. Uh, here's some good names. Abram, when God got a hold of him, changed his character to Abraham. Jacob to Israel. Simon to Peter. Uh, their name, your name, the name of the Lord, it conveys who they really are in the Bible. Saul to Paul. So the name of the Lord, to think about the name of the Lord, what is that? How do we run into the name of the Lord? That's his attributes. That is who God is. That is his nature. And what is, what, what is his attributes? To run into the name of the Lord is to tell yourself who God is, who he is to us, to forcefully Remind yourself that God is sovereign, that God is love, that God is all wisdom, that God is mercy, that God is holy. When we're going into a time where our life is getting out of control, this isn't the long-term effect to help us, but it is a quick relief. It's to sit there and realize who God is as a person, who his nature is. Uh, when, when Jesus fell asleep on the boat, uh, John ch or Luke chapter 8 uh, the disciples were panicking. They were fearing. They lost control, literally. They all thought they were going to die. Uh, if you could read up on Luke 8, if you care or desire, and you do care. I shouldn't say if you care. If you would like to later on, go ahead and look that up. Uh, but Jesus is on the boat. He sleeps. And what does Jesus say when he is awoken, when they are all distressed and discombobulated and thinking they're about to die? Jesus doesn't say, you have little faith. Jesus says, where is your faith? He says, do you know who I am? Why, where's your faith at? You're in the midst of a storm and you're not running to me. And that's where we need to be. When we're losing self-control, Jesus is saying, where is your faith? Run to Jesus, run to God, run to who he is. Forcefully tell yourself who God is, that he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, he is love, he is holy, he is sovereign. Tell these things to you when you're at a time of spiral and uncontrol. Next, the name of the Lord means he is a person. 
The name of the Lord means he is a person. We look at, you know, spirit, it means a force. It's something that sometimes we can't think of. And a lot of times we have, you know, talk with our kids. And sometimes God can be distant, can't he? But when you think of God as a person, doesn't that just help you? It puts, it puts skin on God and, and obviously a, a holy side of things. I'm talking about obviously we know Jesus is that flesh uh, dwelt amongst us. But he has a heart. He has a mind. He has the ability to communicate. So when we are in an, a, a moment in our life where we are out of control, that's when we realize God is a person that we can talk with. He has uh, the person-like qualities, and we can have a relationship with him. That's what makes Christianity so great. We have a personal relationship with God. I'm going to skip a little bit of this. This is, I don't care, I think we care to go into 1740, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he was talking about the will. It was a book called Freedom of the Will. It was interesting. Uh, maybe I'm talking too much about it already. He says, you never do anything other than what you most want to do at that moment. And then someone said, well, that's not true. And they said, well, imagine uh, someone put a sharp object behind your back and said, give me your wallet. And the man says, well, and he gives him his wallet. He says, well, see, Jonathan Edwards, I didn't want to give him my wallet, but I did give him my wallet. And that's when Jonathan Edwards says, true. You didn't want to give him your wallet, but you also wanted to live more than what you did, then more than, more than that you didn't want to give him your wallet. So because you wanted to live more than that you didn't want to give your wallet, you gave him your wallet because you always choose at the moment what you most truly want. And he goes into a little bit more of that. I thought that was neat and helpful. But how does that help us today? Genesis 29 is how it helps us. Here's how we're going to close it down right now. Genesis 29, Jacob works for seven years for Rachel, actually 14. But for this time period, he thinks it's for seven years. Uh, we're going to get to 29 verse 20. Uh, and how did he have the ability? Seven years. I'm looking at my sweet, beloved wife. Seven years is a long time. That is a, a long time. But my wife is worth those 14 years if I had to. Uh, but praise the Lord, I didn't have to. How, what went through Jacob's mind? Uh, you, you know his father-in-law, uh, Laban. Uh, how he was a little bit more of a trickster, just like Jacob. You know, obviously, uh, you, you get what you deserve or you get what you sow. Uh, you know what you sow and you get. Uh, but Jacob, Laban, how, how did he go through these seven years and desire that? The answer for Jacob is right here in verse number 20. It'll be up here in a second. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but for a few days for the love he had to her. Because he loved her, all the other desires of his heart, when things got hard, when things got rough, when things got unfair, because of that true love for Rachel, he had a love so supreme that everything else fell in line straight with what his control, what his will was. So how do we practice this? Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God, it says, teaches us. That means it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly lusts. Now that may be for you, or maybe not for you, it's not foreign, but for me it is. When my kids are losing self-control, when they're at the dinner table talking, standing up, going to the restroom 18 times and they're not sitting down and eating their meal, 
I don't go over with them with love and grace and say, that spaghetti is going to be real good when you eat it. No, you know what happens? I say, eat your food or you're going to eat more broccoli and you're not going to have anything else. You're not going to have any ice cream. Most people have oh taste and see that the Lord is great in their dining room. I say, eat that food or you're having broccoli and no more ice cream and it's going to be your breakfast tomorrow. That's the sign that's in our dining room. But anyways, when we think of kids, what does that do? We think, well, I'm going to yell at them. I'm going to create more fear. And they're already in a spot where their control is already out of order. But what do I do? God tells us the grace of God is going to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. But what do I do as an imperfect parent, as a father, as an every person in my life? I respond to situations when I'm out of control with the ability to just almost have that rage and anger to think that's going to solve it. But for the child, they quickly eat up real fast. But how long does that last? Maybe a minute? Because me just yelling at them isn't getting their will back in control. It isn't getting them back into check. And so uh, we have to, the same way, here it is. Let me read it for you. Uh, so the fear doesn't make the child have more self-control. If anything, fear just makes them or even us more anxious it makes them more upset or whatever, maybe that constant feeling or how that child structure even is. For some, when they get yelled at or harsh at, they get more anxiety, they get more clammed up. For others, they get more stubborn, more bitter, more, more, more jealous, more angered. And so when we constantly deal like that outside of God's word, we see that that's not, first off, how Jacob dealt with his, with his out of control feelings when he was uh, wronged when he was had an injustice and had to work even longer for his wife outside of the agreement time. He worked out of something called love. Uh, and uh, verse number 11 says, the grace of God hath appeared. And there it is right there. That's the gospel. It became, that word appear means to become visible. And you know the answer to that. Who became visible? Jesus. He was born. He dwelt among us. He died and he was raised. He physically appeared to us in love and came to us. And then chapter 3 tells us uh, later on uh, that that grace of God, what does it look like? It's that he saved us not because of our own righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. So why can we run into the name of the Lord? You guys are listening great. I'm sorry to keep making it feel like we're closing. We are closing. Here's one instance from Moses. Moses wanted to see God's glory. But could he? God said, if you see my glory, you would be killed. And God said, this is powerful. I never realized this besides studying out the name of the Lord. In Exodus 33, 19, God says, you will see, I will, I will proclaim, I will proclaim my name as I pass through. And he hides him in a rock and he passes by. So he saw the hinder parts of God. But even as close as Moses was toward God, God or Moses still couldn't see the glory of God. And we know that, but who made it accessible to us? See, in this time in life, in the, in the ancient cities where the walls were there, people ran into the city to get security. But Jesus was crucified on the outside of the city. If you might have read through Exodus, Leviticus the last couple of weeks, uh, you might have noticed some of the burnt offerings. They were thrown outside the city. They didn't have recology. That was their big dump system. They would persecute thieves and, and criminals outside of the city. Outside of their protection was where all of the, the, the vile, the, 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 the trash, the dung, all of that went outside of that city, outside of that security. And so for us, 
Jesus went outside of that security. He went outside of those walls so we can be inside of the walls. And Hebrews 13, 11 through 12 says this so beautifully. For the bodies of those beasts, those are the animals, most of the time goats, whose blood and lamb, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. He, we can run into the city because he was run out of the city. We can run into the Father because he was run out from the Father. God turned his back on his son when he was on the cross because of the sin. Jesus Christ suffering, dying, losing the Father must have been very hard. The Garden of Gethsemane, the pleading, not my will, but thine be done. But if it will, let this cup be removed from me. How many times did he ask that? How many times did he mention, I could call a legion of angels and we sing that beautiful song. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Jesus said he could have done that. But yet he continued all the way to the cross. What drove the greatest display of this uh, of self-control this world's ever seen? The greatest display of self-control by Jesus. What made Christ leave heaven and take upon him the form of a servant and become obedient to the death of the cross? Well, the answer, of course, Hebrews 12 tells us uh, that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus is God. He has everything. So before the cross, you know the answer to this. This is the goosebumps part. Before the cross, what didn't Jesus have? Two letters. He didn't have us. So Jesus endured the cross so he could have us with him for all of eternity. The reason Jesus had the self-control he had was because we were his Rachel. Because he continued on that cross, because he continued all the way through his life until the point in time of his death. How and why did he do that? How did he have that self-control? Because he had true love on his mind. And so when we have that same love that Jesus had for us back to God, that's how we get freed from our strong, false strong tires, our imaginable strong towers. That's how we get freed from all that's trapping us. And of course, it's if, if it's addictions, it takes time. But this is how we get freed, by running to the name of the Lord. It's the grace of God that brings salvation, hath appeared to all men, teaching, that means to push, to argue with us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The more we live out the gospel, the more self-control we have to live soberly, righteously, and, and godly in this present world. It's that true love back to God. It's the grace of God that teaches us to deny all worldly lust, to have self-control. It's the grace of God. It's the gospel. It's the love of God for us. So getting in control of our money, uh, time, tongue, relationships, is uh, getting in control of our life is to run into the name of the Lord. So let's practice that this week. 
Lord, we thank you so much for this day, this night. Lord, thank you for the ability to preach. I enjoyed it, Lord, speaking in my heart with some of the things that I had as strong towers, Lord, that weren't you. I pray that you would help us, Lord, this week and in our life, in our journeys, to truly uh, seek you as our strong tower, Lord. I pray that you would help us uh, to live this out this week. Uh, when we ever go through times when we're losing self-control, uh, Lord, maybe, of course, in the area of our spending or with our relationships or in our, in our money, Lord, I pray that we would think about you as a person, as your nature, and that we would hide ourselves in your tower, Lord, in you, in the name of the Lord. And may that bring us victory. May that uh, lead us, Lord, to higher ground and bless these people, Lord. Bless the church service. We just love you. I pray that you'd help us have a great week. Uh, may we just realize that our sin, Lord, uh, though they are many, uh, because of you, uh, our uh, grace, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, Lord. And I pray that we would live out the gospel, uh, that we would live that pure, sweet, salt and light uh, witness that you would have us to live, Lord. May we have a self-controlled life in you and in your word. We love you so much. Would you bless us as we go about our ways tonight, Lord, please. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.